Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Not D&D, uh, which is brought to you by EM Live, part of EM World, the leading tabletop news and review site. I'm your host, Jessica Hancock, and with me this week, I have the wonderful guest with me, Alex. Alex, please would you introduce yourself? Hi there, uh, I'm Alex. Um, I live a little way north of London. Um, uh, my day job is relatively boring, but I've uh, <laughs> been interested in RPGs for uh, many, many years. And um, so my, I'd say my hobby is now creating and publishing games. Amazing. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. Really excited to be talking about your game. Uh, the last two weeks we had uh, kind of pre-recorded sessions due to scheduling issues, but we are in fact live right now as I speak. Um, so if you have any questions, please pop them in the chat where you're watching and we will happily answer them for you. Uh, so it can be a little bit more interactive and back uh, like we're used to uh, this week. Um, so the first question I have, Alex, which I ask all guests, is what is your first experience with tabletop RPGs? When did you start playing what was the first game you played it's um i can tell you that it was in um, may 1976 oh um, specifically know the date okay <laughs> you know the date because there's a there's an issue of games and puzzles magazine that had a two-page article in about dungeons and dragons a little bit of blurb about it a little example dungeon um and i read it and i thought this is amazing. Uh, and then I looked at the price of it and I found that was well out of reach of my pocket money. So right, I got okay. as a friend and I wrote a page of rules so that we could play a game with dungeons. So my first experience of a role-playing game was a homemade thing with the idea of you go down dungeons uh, and yeah. you might have a plus one sword or a plus one shield and you'd roll the dice and I made up some rules and we had fun with that until we were able to actually save up money to buy a game. And then did you save up and buy yeah, the, the Dungeons and Dragons proper game? Um, I The first game I bought was actually Metamorphosis Alpha. Oh, um, really? Okay. That was, so that, that was cheaper than D&D. Okay, price matters. Okay. Um, uh, the first D&D book I bought was the, uh, the little supplement one, Greyhawk. Um, okay. which was interesting. They introduced paladins and uh, thieves and different hit die sizes for classes and level seven, eight, nine spells for wizards. Um, and so we used that and we then kind of worked out what the other rules must be in order to work with these ones. Um, uh, okay. So with your existing rules you'd already written, you kind of just added it in. Nice, yeah. I like that. So uh, you've been you've been designing and making games as soon as you've found out about them. Yeah, <laughs> Tinker, tinkering has been absolutely you know, my whole life with games. Excellent. Um, and so that was kind of where you started. But how did mm. that transition into kind of what you're doing now? As you say, kind of on the side, you're you're running plain sailing games and and making all these yeah. cool things that we're talking about. How did that start for you? Um, the it came from my, the second game I played was RuneQuest, which I mm -hmm. absolutely loved. Um, uh, so much so that I met, I did RuneQuest versions of Empire of the Petal Throne and um, Dark Sun uh, and some other properties. And I did a science mm -hmm. fiction version of it, uh, which I played okay. for many years with friends and we would find it. Um, uh, and this became Stargill, which... Uh, Around about 2014, 2015, I've been working on it for 28 years. And I thought, 
am I going to actually try and publish this or not? Mm -hmm. uh, because while it was in the state of a work in progress, that was safe. There mm -hmm. was no risk of failure there. And I yeah, realised that I, I didn't want to end up in my old age uh, sitting in a mm -hmm. chair thinking, regretting that I'd never tried it out. Um, yeah. And so my my first Kickstarter in 2016 was Starguild Space Opera Noir, mm -hmm. up there, um, All right, yeah. which was successfully kickstarted. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the process was hair-raising and difficult, but it worked. Mm -hmm. I got it printed, got it out to people. And uh, I, was, I was really pleased. I was getting that people were interested in something I produced. Um, yeah. And I got started. I got start, started work on the next supplement, which uh, then had a delay of five years because I just kept getting other ideas I wanted to do something with. <laughs> right, okay. Um, <clears throat> and the those other ideas, really, the germ of those came from um, the game Grey Ranks by uh, yes. Bully Pulpit Press. Yeah, I love that game. It's not not for everyone, <clears throat> but I've played it and yeah. I love it. Could you? Oh, if for people that don't know about Grey Ranks, could you give a little summary of it? So, yeah, um... it's um, it was the first story game that I ever came across, uh, and it's set in a specific historical period, um, and it's the Warsaw Uprising in World War Two, uh, yeah. and in particular, it's about the uh, 16, 17, 18 year olds in the the kind of this children's army. Now we historically know that the Warsaw Uprising was crushed. Uh, by the Nazis, but mm -hmm. the you're playing these teenagers who don't know that, and yeah. they're they're struggling with their feelings because you're teenagers and your feelings are developing. But you're struggling against the oppressors, um, and in the game you we played a it was on a one shot, so we played a series of um, the vignettes, not the whole mm -hmm. thing through. But you you would frame scenes, people would act parts out in the scenes. Mm. Um, and at the end, we had the uh, uh, we had a um, an epilogue where we we considered what had happened to these characters in the end. Um, yeah. And I remember at the end of that, I was I was just sitting there and um, with uh, my chest was uh, was felt really tight. Uh, mm. And a couple of the other people we we'd we'd been moved by these characters in a way mm. that I'd never experienced in a game before. Yeah. I love playing RPGs for the exploration, for the fun, for the repartee. But mm. this was the first one at the time that showed me that they could actually, you could have real feelings, particularly when it was based yeah. around some a historical event. Yeah. Um, I I agree. I think because in, in that game you're playing, um, and much like in your game we're going to talk about in a bit, uh, you're playing fictional characters that you've created, mm. but this is a real life situation and there were real people that mm. were in that situation and would have experienced that. So I think that's why it makes it, it gives it that feeling because you're like, Oh, this, this did yeah. really happen. And of course, I think yeah. when you're playing gray ranks, you know, it's not going to end well. And so that, it, you know, makes you exactly, think when you're, when yes. you're playing the game, so that they're for knowledge. Um, but yeah. Okay. I was, um, uh, I, I did think that Grey Ranks was such a lovely system that could be used for other things as well. And um, mm -hmm. with uh, Jason Morningstar's permission, I did a play set for um, uh, uh, Innsmouth Summer Camp, 
teenagers oh, in yeah. the village of Innsmouth with the mm -hmm. deep ones rising and with all the kind okay. of background settings for that. Because there yeah. you've you again you've got teen you could have a situation with teenagers and uh you know your your body's changing, you're developing hair and are these gills? Um <laughs> and, and it, it gave us a really good setting the uh, one of the core mechanics in the game is a grid where depending upon how success or failure has happened with missions, you move around mm -hmm. the grid. And you, if you end yeah. up in a corner, then that's where you get written out. Um, yeah. Uh, and it, I found that the that basic framework that was produced for Grey Ranks worked really well for uh, another game setting. Uh, and that one's been, my rules for that have been um, translated into Japanese which was oh, wow. delightful. Okay. Um, um, so is that, are the details of that on your website if people want to take a look at that one? Yes. Or? Yeah, on the website, they've got the details there. You have to buy grey mm. ranks for the rules for using it, but this is sort of yeah. a playset of all the um, the prompts and the um, the campfire stories, which are the equivalent mm -hmm. of the lightning radio talks. Okay, great. And that's on plainsailinggames.com there, so you can check that up there. Um, but yeah, so you, so you kind of started doing that. You did that Kickstarter, and then did mm. that lead on to uh, A Cool and Lonely Courage as well, which is another one of your games I'm very interested in. It absolutely did. Um, the uh, Each summer, I had the, uh, the huge pleasure of going along to uh, a small house con over in America. And um, uh, this, it would be... Uh, about 2017, that I was uh, had a chat with somebody, and we happened to be talking about mm -hmm. the bravery of people in world, some of the women in World War Two who were overlooked. Yeah. Uh, and I remembered some stories which I'd heard about the the women spies of the SOE. Uh, and in the F section sent into France, there were women who were trained with all the commando skills that the men had as well, and they were sent mm -hmm. out to be radio operators and to be couriers. Um, the person who was in charge of training said that he thought women were particularly good for this role because they had a cool and lonely courage, hence the name of the game. Um, okay. And uh, I the thought I was on my flight home and I thought, I wonder if I could do a game about that. But I knew that a third of the women who went out there died. They were either killed mm. or they were captured, sent to the concentration camps and died. Um, mm. And so the, I, I felt I wanted to frame it um, so that the game starts and you've been captured, but you're going mm -hmm. to use flashbacks to tell the story of uh, your arrival in France, okay. going a mission, a kind of slice of life interlude, how you were captured and what happened in prison. Um, and I, then, I was then thinking, well, I wonder how I can have a game element to that uh and this this was all before i fell asleep on the flight home but i thought i could <laughs> use playing i use playing mm. cards um okay. because you've got your you've got your four suits uh, and if i align each of the suits with um with a, an emotional feeling so if there's a, a heart then you'll have a scene that revolves around love uh, if you have a, a diamond then a scene that revolves around success in some way um mm. a club then there's a failure or misfortune. If there's a spade, then somebody died. Not you, because these are flashbacks. You're safe yeah. at the moment. Um, but as you go through, as you set the scenes, we, uh, we introduce characters who get played by the other players. 
mm-hmm. and we write them down on index cards. If a spade comes up and somebody dies, then you're going to pick one of the people that you've been building a relationship with, and they're the person that dies in that scene. Oh, but wow. you also you introduce another character who is affected by that death. Um, the scenes are can be a combination of narrative and um, and role play, depending on what the de- mm-hmm. demands of the situation look like. Um, in an early play test, we had a, a mission scene, uh, and I drew a spade, and so he said, "Okay, what happens is this: uh, my radio operator went out. Uh, she laid out the her radio uh, uh, radio aerial in the fields, and there was a teenage mm-hmm. boy came along to act as a spotter." And the teenage boy spotted, saw some Germans, and he said, don't worry, I'll draw them off. He runs across the field shouting, and they gun him down. And he's dead. Mm. I then come back and meet his father and have to tell him he's died. And then we, we role-played out that scene of mm. telling his father that. Um, uh, some, the, we found that the... I had to put a lot of work into the safety uh, things, uh, the safety rules at the start of the game. Yes, because yeah, yeah. There's, there's so much um, possibility. You're talking about potentially rather horrible things. And yeah, it's, definitely. It's, it's supposed to be a game which is engaging, but doesn't mm-hmm. hurt people. Um, yeah, of course. So, yeah. yeah, you have to be you have to be careful how you do the things, particularly when you're dealing with literal Nazis. Um, yes yeah so what sort of um safety mechanics do you advise kind of in the games to make sure that you know because obviously like you say it's talking about war it's talking about real life themes that are not great and there might be some kind of barriers people want to put into place and and make sure that everybody has a has a comfortable time and yeah it's not crossing any lines for anybody in the story they want to tell absolutely right um so the the two things the two ones that I set out in this which we found helpful mm-hmm. were um, the lines and veils and X card, yeah. which I'm sure will be okay. familiar to many people. But lines and veils, a line is something you say we just don't go there, mm-hmm. uh, and a veil is that kind of happens off screen. So, for yeah. instance, uh, we might say um, uh, um, I don't want any torture of children. Uh, children That's can die, but that happens off screen, yeah. and that would mm-hmm. be a veil. Um, mm-hmm. Or it, it could be that, um, for instance, there might be romance that comes up. You might say, actually, uh, I don't mind don't mind romance or the the possibility of sex, but there's there's a veil there. It happens off screen, just like yeah. in a movie when it pans to the the curtain. You know, just exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So everyone knows what's going on. That's fine. And the X yeah. card is uh, if at any point somebody says. Um, Oh, Joe, you know, I'm not happy with that. So, okay, let's mm-hmm. pause. Let's let's reframe that. Start again. Mm-hmm. We've also said that uh, use the rule that remember the door is always open. Um, mm-hmm. And twice, once when I've been running the game, and once when uh, I've seen the game being run, um, somebody's got to a point where they said, "I'm sorry, I've just got to step away from this," and that is mm-hmm. absolutely fine. You can step away. Look after yourself. It's not going to hurt anybody else's experience. It's not going to wreck the game. You know, you can you know, just step off. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really good to know that the safety is kind of built in with those with those kind of 
especially when you're dealing with those sorts of themes and things. Mm. Lines and veins, veils I find really useful in any game I run, even if I'm playing yeah. a D&D game with a group of people, uh, especially people I've not played with before. I always do lines and veils beforehand, just yeah. in case somebody's got a phobia of spiders or something. Yes. And they don't yeah. want them in the, yeah. the game. Or, you know, it could be anything as simple as that. But I think in these sorts of games where you're re- dealing with real world issues and things, it's really good to have yeah. safety mechanics in. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I tried to do through this game is to um, uh, put in examples of the real women who are there. Um, right. we, we had a, a bit earlier a, a picture of some of the cards. And in each of the sessions, each of the um, chapters, on each of those cards, that's a real story about a real woman. Um, okay. And you can read in the book, I've just done a, a thumbnail sketch of people like Christina Scarbeck and Nancy Wake, um, uh, Adette Sansom, women who withstood astonishing opposition, mm-hmm. um, who, who carried on going no matter what. Uh, I found that I was, I was both challenged and encouraged by what they did. People who came yeah. from ordinary walks of life, somebody might have been a shop girl or a secretary. Mm-hmm. And yet when it came to it, they were absolute, they were their courage was absolutely undeniable. Um, that's a picture of uh, Virginia Hall. Mm-hmm. She was uh, an American who uh, wanted to work for the um, uh, American um, uh, diplomatic service, but mm-hmm. she'd got a wooden leg. And so they said, well, you've got a wooden leg, you're a cripple, you can't do anything, and you're a woman. Right. So at a she was at a party in London, and she heard about the recruiting for the SOE. She was fluent in French. Uh, she went, was trained with them, went over to France. Uh, she was known as the limping lady, and she was uh, right at the top of uh, Himmler's hit list for people who want to get because she was so good at organising the men, at arranging escape routes for people. Um, it was absolutely remarkable what she did. She was one of the ones who survived the war and went on to work for the OSS and then the CIA. Um, mm-hmm. Others sadly didn't have such a, a good ending. Um, yeah, of course. And that's one of the, the crucial twists at the end of the game is that um, because everyone's been given a hand, dealt a hand of cards, uh, mm-hmm. and you don't know what your hand of cards is. Each chapter, you draw a card to see what's happening. And mm-hmm. at the end of the game, everyone's got one card left. Right. And you then, de- you then decide, do you want to keep your card or do you want to donate your card to somebody else? Because at the end of that, at the game, if you've got two cards in your hand, because people are donating them to you, you escaped successfully. If you've got mm-hmm. no cards, you were murdered in jail. If you had one card, you went to the concentration camps and you either survived or you didn't there. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a crucial decision to make. Whose yeah. story that's been developed do you want to see come to have a, a happy ending at last? Yeah. Um, and the the final thing is an epilogue where we say about what happened to the people afterwards or how were they remembered? Because yes. even those who died are remembered. Um, mm-hmm. And in the book, I have the list of all of the women who served in F section, um, including the whether they whether they survived or not, because mm-hmm. as much as I'd like people to play this game and enjoy it, 
yeah. I'd like them to reflect upon some of the women who did it for real uh, yeah. and remember them. It was very important to me to be respectful to the, mm. to the real people it was based on. Definitely. Um, it sounds like that comes through in the game. We've had a question here. Um, somebody said that they love your games, which is nice, first of all. Um, and obviously, you, you've touched on this a little bit, but um, they're interested in about the research process for a game like A Cool and Lonely Courage and also Love and Barbed Wire, which we're just about to mm. go into talk about. Um, so, how, yeah, what is your research process like with getting um, all the information about these real life people and getting them in the book? I, I like reading. Uh, I find mm -hmm. um, books about it. I, I look for historical accounts and I look for fictional book, fictional ones on the setting. So mm -hmm. um, uh, for historical accounts, uh, there's about five or six books that I've got. Some of them looking at particular women. Um, mm -hmm. uh, some of them, one of them looking at Leo Marx, who was the chap who was responsible for the codes which were used by the women. Um, mm -hmm. And fictional stories like Codename Verity, um, mm -hmm. or, um, uh, or there's once a movie recently, I'm trying to remember, I, I write down my research in the book. So okay. if anybody wants to look up, I talk about the, for the background reading, the historical things I've looked at and the fiction. Okay. Uh, Charlotte mm -hmm. Grey was the one film I was thinking of. Oh, right, yeah, okay. And uh, similarly for, um, for Love and Barbed Wire, I, want to, I tried to do a lot of research into World War One, what was happening, uh, what life was like in the trenches, what life was like on the home front. Um, sometimes you, there's information available on websites, uh, particularly if it's part of the national curriculum in the UK, and then yep. there's information you can find out there. Otherwise, I, try, I, I follow historians on Twitter. Um, okay. My, my Twitter is kind of um, about 10% scientists, uh, mm -hmm. 30 percent 30 percent um historians and and then 60 percent uh game designers okay. uh, but the the historians are just are so useful are helpful sometimes through interaction with them directly but because they're yeah. talking about bits of history you can find out mm -hmm. which are the which are the best books to look at so i have a um a library of books of things i'm looking at um i'm currently as I'm looking to the future, I'm reading books about suffragettes. Oh, amazing! I visit, I want to do something about suffragettes and the uh, deeds, not words. Courage calls to courage. I mm -hmm. think that there's, I think there's something useful we can learn today from mm. the the things that women were prepared to go through to get to win the vote just over mm -hmm. 100 years ago. But that's some of the early stages of research for that one. Mm. Okay, well, I think I'll answer that question very well. Um, so we've kind of talked about it a little bit here. So I'm going to bring us on to talk about uh, the main thing that we're here to talk about today mm. um, in Love and Barbed Wire. Before I do that, I will mention, though, that A Cool and Lonely Courage we're talking about just before, it was nominated in the best game category for the Ennies in 2020. Mm. So congratulations for that nomination there. That must have been quite fun and exciting to have it so well oh. received. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely delightful. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. uh, there's I, I didn't have any hope of winning because who knew me? <laughs> but, but to be nominated meant that the judges had looked mm. through several hundred games and felt mm. that this game was worthy of putting in front of a wider audience. Uh, and that was yeah. that was really special. 
That's pretty, yeah. And I think it's great. I think the mechanics are, are kind of unique and different from what you come across in RPGs. But also I think the theme is something that really spoke to me and it mm. was the same with um, Love and Barbed Wire. Um, so could you give us a little summary about Love and Barbed Wire? Yes. Um, so Love and Barbed Wire is um, uh, it's a, the fancy word to be is an epistolary game. Uh, oh, okay. But basically, it's a letter writing game. Um, mm. And the thought occurred to me, I was, I was traveling back from Metatopia uh, a couple of years ago, 2019. And I thought, I wonder what you could do with a game where you're actually taking in turns to do something. And I know that in mm. World War I, um, because of the fixed nature of trench warfare, there was millions of letters flowing backwards and forwards between the home front yeah. and the front line. Mm-hmm. And I and I thought I wonder if there's a story to be told about yeah. um, what it's like for two people separated in distance over time to um, to build you know to to see how what happens with their relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's a, a fabulous book that I bought with which has got which is full of love letters from World War One. Oh, wow! Uh, and as you read these, you could see some of them. There was there was just there was true love some of them people had obviously fallen out of love there, there's one awful one where a woman writes to to chap and she says um i'm leaving you i've met somebody else uh everybody else comes home occasionally but you being a prisoner of war uh, you never come back uh, <laughs> and so i'm going to put the children into an orphanage and go off with this other man don't give a rat's ass about them I think, oh wow! Somebody got this letter. Ah, um, but there's also so many times when somebody the letter writing ended, where somebody would write a letter, and all they'd get back is a terse telegram that somebody had fallen in battle. So okay. I felt that there was mm. there's a game here where mm. we could have some genuine emotional content. But there is that potential for for a real element of drama in there as well. Will your love survive the war? Um, the, I mean, the war took over took place over what four years. But I mm-hmm. kind of divide it into five thematic chapters, um, okay. aligned with seasons. Um, mm-hmm. uh, go through winter, spring, summer, autumn, winter, mm-hmm. um, uh, and so it starts off with. Um, uh, when everybody went off to war thinking it will be over by Christmas it's all feeling yeah. very positive mm-hmm. um, and so with each of the chapters I've given uh, one of the war poems um, oh, sorry excuse my hands I can't stop waving them um, no that's fine I do war, that too <laughs> <laughs> one of the war poems from um, uh, some of these uh, the soldiers who died in World War One. but there's some amazing poems so I picked a poem which was fit the theme for each chapter um uh so the first chapter is um uh uh yeah we'll all be home by christmas uh mm. the second chapter or oh, we're somewhere in france uh third chapter is um uh where your know, emotions start to deepen the fourth mm. chapter is when it's all over this is what we'll do and then the last chapter is our darkest days um mm. so as each time you write then you're you're influenced by the theme of the chapter and mm-hmm. you've got a, a deck of cards 
So you right. randomly draw a card, and that in, that gives you something about the emotional theme. So if it's love, a okay. uh, heart, you're writing of love, how much you love them, the, the things which mm -hmm. you love about them. If it's um, diamonds, then you're writing about your the how impressed you are, their courage, mm -hmm. the marvellous things about them. If it's a club, then it's the, the person at home writes about their fears, uh, and if it's on the, the front, then they ask about, they talk about how horrible it is. And if there's a spade, the first time a spade is drawn, then it's either an injury at the front or it's somebody okay. started falling out of love at home. Okay. So then you get to the second chapter and you're replying to the first letter, informed by the theme of the chapter and the draw of a new card. Mm -hmm. And this gives you a real variability as the game goes on. No two games will ever end up the same. Yeah, I can um, imagine. There's one play test where the first two cards that the soldier drew were a spade mm -hmm. and a spade. And he actually died in the second chapter, uh, which they which they found was shocking, but felt yeah. in a way quite real. Yeah, um, I imagine that happened, yeah. We've, oh. we've had some games where... The, the loved one back home has fallen out of love and they stop writing. And the soldier keeps writing back to them, but they get no response back. Oh. It's again, a heartbreaking situation, but very real. Mm. And one of the things that, that comes from this, this way of running the game is that you can play it together. You can sit across a table uh, and then mm. you um, write, but we have five minute timer for writing. Uh, mm. It forces you to be kind of terse and rushed. And then yeah. you take in turns to read for that chapter. And then you go on to the next chapter. And that works really well over Zoom. It could equally well yes. be played yeah. with real mail. I've played it with somebody over email. I know somebody's played it with a shared document where they take it in turns oh, nice. to write in the document. Well, you get the opportunity for your, your messages to, to cross in the post, as it were, when you're playing it face-to-face mm. -face or over Zoom. Um, yeah. And I found that when you've got a, a group of four people, you can set up two pairs, and then mm -hmm. you're hearing kind of two sets of conversations. So it's worked yeah. well in quite a lot of situations. Yeah, so yeah, that sounds really interesting i'm sorry I'm, I'm, I'm i love the ideas for the stories and the things you can tell by 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 doing it this way and the mechanics um seem really really great with it here we've had someone uh kevin's commented that they've seen this sort of mechanic in in different games and the system works so spectacularly well um mm -hmm. so it seems like some fans for the system there as well what other kind of things do you have um in terms of systems so it seems like in order to play the game you need some sort of timer and a deck of cards is there anything else you need? Any other preparation? No, no, no other mm -hmm. preparation at all, really. Um, oh, wow. The sometimes people might approach it and think, "I don't really know much about the setting, the, about that bit mm -hmm. of history." So yeah. I have tried to give a digested view of history, mm -hmm. what it was like in the trenches, and what the home front was like in different countries. Um, mm -hmm. So not just Britain, but in France, in Germany, in India, which is often overlooked. Um, yeah. And so if you, you can give people the hooks they can use as they are making things up. And one of the things I tell people to do in the game is to liberally make up people. Yeah. The, the, somebody writing says, oh, I heard from your brother. And it's okay. Somebody, yeah. You've got a brother there. And the brother mm -hmm. can then come up in future letters. Um, 
And it can be a soldier and their loved one. It could be their fiance. It could be their uh, wife. But it could be a child they're writing to. Or you could have um, uh, a gay couple who have to write carefully because they know the censors will read everything. So they're they're writing to say what they can't say. Mm -hmm. Um, Or there were women who um, were near the front line as nurses and she could have a woman on the front line writing to their loved one back home, a husband or, or mm-hmm. a child. So there's there's a lot of different angles that you can take with as well. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think that's interesting, that comment you made about queer couples as well, because, yeah, I guess being separated and writing during that time would have been really difficult because that wasn't really an mm. accepted thing there. Um, but, yeah, no. so I really like that, that take on it, that, the, the game's flexible enough to kind of do that. Um, what was your sort of inspiration for wanting to write uh, this this game and this sort of system? Did you, I think I remember you saying your grandfather was in the war. Yes, yes. My my grandfather, who, who died in 1937, so I never knew him, uh, mm-hmm. but he was in, in the war in um, mm-hmm. the uh, Bedfordshire Yeomanry. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's a number of, I've tried to have a, a lot of photographs um part of the money I use from the Kickstarter is raised in mm. order to to buy the rights to use photographs in it. Uh, but oh, there's quite a lot of photographs I've got, mm. which are from his war diaries, um, oh, wow. including uh, one of the pictures in there is of my grandmother, who he mm-hmm. met at a dance in, uh, mm-hmm. Fra- in Framlingham in Suffolk. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so he met during the war and they, they wrote to each other during the war. And after the war, he got together and got married. Um, oh. I have a photograph in there of the his orders from the the um, when the armistice was signed. Uh, oh. He's got he still has well. I have the uh, the original bit of paper which it was on. I took a photograph mm-hmm. of that and included it in there. Um, nice. And the one of the things that's on my mind is that it, it's very easy to forget people. It's very mm-hmm. easy to um, to forget the sacrifices that people have made as the mm-hmm. The generations from World War Two now are getting fewer and fewer. We can yes. forget what people have have done um, to to kind of pay for freedom. Um, mm-hmm. It also, I think, is a helpful reminder for me about how powerful writing is. Um, mm-hmm. Back in the nineteen nineties, um, my wife and I we wrote letters to one another. She <laughs> she wasn't on email, um, and I've still got those letters. In fact, yeah. we've got letters that were written by her grandfather to her mother. Uh, and there's a, there's a tangibility to letters, yeah. which I think, I think we sometimes we lose track of now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if it, if it encouraged people to think, oh, actually, I think I might like to write to somebody, write to yeah. one of my good friends, I think that would be quite a nice outcome from it. Yeah, I think so, definitely. I think there is something about letter writing that feels more romantic as well. Like, uh, you know, for yeah. example, there's not something quite as uh, wistful as looking back through the text messages with your other half <laughs> from when you were first dating. It's a, it was whilst maybe this you know, yeah. similar information and vibe, it doesn't quite have the yeah, same romance. The same. <laughs> yeah, that, that has uh, yeah. there. So that's, um, yes, I like that. And I love that there's that personal... Uh, link you have with mm. it there and that you've put your family history into it mm. um i think it's uh you know brian did you were you working on this during um 
during COVID and during lockdown, because there's that yes. element of distance there that kind of parallels. Um, yeah, very much so. Um, uh, I I do find I, I love the um, uh, conf- the Metatopia Convention that happens in November um, mm-hmm. each year um, over in I believe it's New Jersey. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to that twice before COVID, uh, and mm-hmm. each time it's been super valuable for for testing your games out with people yeah designers who give really helpful critique um but the first time uh yeah love and barbed wire's first test was a metaphor online because of covid turns out worked very well for online play um, yeah oh we lost you a little bit there alex i think you're coming back now i sorry i um I actually, I think my brain just kind of stopped the sentence before the sentence was finished. Oh, okay. I think your internet just dropped a little bit there for me, but I think you're back now, so so all good. Okay. Uh, just just like during COVID, the joys of uh, online communication sometimes. <laughs> uh, yes. yes, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but no, that's that's great to hear. And I think the game, it, the game struck a chord with me because I think it's very different to other things that we've seen. Um, I really like that mm. idea of long distance. So I think that's something we can all kind of relate to now because of being separated from COVID. And also now there's obviously yeah. the war happening in Ukraine, which I think maybe stirs up some sort of feelings like this in, mm. in people as well. So I think it's, even though it's a game that's, you know, based on a setting 100 years ago, I think it's still well, almost hundred years ago, <laughs> but uh, yeah. it still has um, it still has some relevance today um, and some things we can take from it. Pre resonance for it, yeah. Very much, definitely. Um, so, um, if you have any questions, we are recording this live this week with uh, with not D and D. So please ask any questions in the comments uh, for Alex, and we'll happily answer them for you. So wherever mm. you're watching, please type them in there. Um, I'm going to uh, bring us on to talk about some kind of future projects that you have uh, lined up uh, as well. So um, we've got the uh, Inner <coughs> Circle here game that you mentioned before. Your work mm. you're talking about. Um, Could you tell? Tell us what what what's what's yes. this upcoming game we're looking um, out for. So, I, I I have a I have a bit of a reputation in my last two games for writing games that make people cry, um, <laughs> uh, and, that's, and that's in a good sense. Um, yes, in a cathartic I, I like to write way. games, yeah. yeah, that help people feel. But I wanted mm. to write something that would be funny, um, okay. and so this game is a, a black comedy. Um, okay. It was inspired after watching the movie Death of Stalin. Um, okay. And if you've seen that, um, but it's the you know Stalin dies and you've got the his the, his inner circle. They're all backbiting and backstabbing to see who comes out on top. Mm-hmm. And I thought, there's do you know there's an awful lot of circumstances around the world where you can have an inner circle of terrible mm-hmm. people currying <laughs> favour with a despotic mm-hmm. leader. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so the, the mechanics of the game is a it's it's designed to be a black comedy uh, mm-hmm. with an emphasis on black as in comedy the um, uh, uh, something where you you laugh even though you think maybe I shouldn't be laughing at this um, yeah. the and it's a push your luck thing because you're using the the uh, I'm using playing cards again but here in the sense of um, the game of pontoon or twenty one um, okay. or blackjack. No, it's not the full rules for blackjack, but mm-hmm. um, uh, for each each turn, um, mm-hmm. you get a couple of cards, 
And I look at my cards. I've just picked up two cards here. I've got two spades. Um, sure. So I want to. I'm so I've got a secret plan. Um, mm. Yeah, for the for the boss. And my plan involves mm. the death of his enemies and the death of all of the enemies' family as well. So I've got two oh, okay. spades there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might have I might have got a heart and said, "Well, this plan this makes people love you because I was doing a massive PR campaign." Okay. And everyone goes through and talks about their plans, and then you decide, "Am I going to stick there, or do I want to extend my plan?" Because there can only mm-hmm. be one winner each round. And okay. um, I mean, with with these, I probably want to stick there, but <laughs> if I assume that I was greedy and I wanted to take another one, and I got this, then oh, I'm adding a bit of a bit of love to my plan, mm-hmm. but I have to, I can't, I've actually bust. I don't tell anybody I bust right now. Mm. When you've got around and everyone got a position where everyone sticks, nobody draws anymore, we reveal the cards. The person who's got the highest card wins mm-hmm. um, and they keep their current credibility. Everyone mm-hmm. who has, who, who isn't the winner loses one point of credibility. Um, if you bust, you lose two points of credibility. You start with okay. about five, when your credibility gets to zero, then you are fired, executed, um, covered in molten gold, whatever's the appropriate <laughs> pattern. Yes. And so you've played, you've got one person left. Okay. Um, and, and so I've set it up with um, mm-hmm. uh, fictional settings like uh, Lord of the Rings, where you're a bunch of orcs carrying hobbits back. You know, Lovely. You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, uh, Flash Gordon, so where people are serving Emperor, Emperor Ming. How wonderful. Um, uh, Star Wars with a Dark Lord of the Sith who likes you. Mm-hmm. You get force choked if you fail him enough times. Um, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, uh, where, where people die all over the place in that. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> kind of, and I'm giving kind of prompts appropriate for the genre. Um, yeah. For historical settings, you've got uh, Emperor Nero. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we've got um, Joseph Stalin. Um, there was a, I forget the name now, there was uh, the Madagascan queen under whose mm-hmm. reign the population of Madagascar halved from five million to two and a half million. She was a wicked, wicked person. Um, wow. we've, we're specifically steering away mm-hmm. from uh, Hitler as a possibility because I don't want people to even have a, a chance of doing saying things which are which might put them in a positive light. So, mm-hmm. or, and don't want to joke about the Holocaust, things like that. So leaving mm. that on one side. Um, contemporary settings, uh, Donald Trump, um, Boris Johnson, um, <laughs> Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, big business settings, big energy, uh, big pharma, uh, big tech. Um, the newspapers are full of thing, horrible things that they're doing. And people enjoy uh, imagining what they can do in order to get children addicted to the new app on their phone. Um, mm. uh, there's a, just, we're just working at the moment on some um, uh, uh, high drama, low stakes settings like um, okay. office politics. Um, oh yes, high school, yeah, high, yeah, mm. high high school cliques and um, yeah, academia. Okay, great. Um, uh, and a couple of weird settings. So there's a Hell's Kitchen setting where you're using the cards to make up ingredients for things. And um, will Rod and Gamsey like your things or call you an idiot sandwich? <laughs> okay, great. So it sounds like you got the system there that you could do whatever you want with it, but you've got 
it's chock a block full of prompts and and things yeah. already set up for you to use. That's great. When will that be coming? Uh, when will that be available? What's the plan so, for that roughly? I'm the I'm pretty much there with all the rules now. Um, mm -hmm. I've just got a couple of settings I want to work on. So I'm hoping to set, launch a Kickstarter probably towards the end of June or early July. Um, okay, and that's to raise and that's to raise money to get um, professional editing. Um, mm -hmm and for some additional internal artwork. Excellent. Um, I've, I've got some pencil sketches in myself at the moment. Uh, okay. If I don't raise enough on the Kickstarter, pencil sketches it will be. Um, <laughs> if I do okay. uh, and I, get, I can fund an artist, then that would be excellent. Um, okay, I'm, great. I'm, as, as, with, as with all Kickstarters, and this is my top tip for anybody who is an indie game designer, it's really useful to spend some money up front to get logo or cover art done, something you can show mm -hmm. people. I'm really pleased with the design that I've got for um, Inner Circle. Uh, it's a brilliant artist that I was able to work with, who went backwards and forwards and came up with something I'm really pleased with there. That sounds great. And the best place for people to get news about that on when it'll go live is on plainsailinggames.com. Excellent. Great. So we can have a look at that on there. So we have um, some questions coming through as well based on uh, the game. So you've, you've used cards in um, all of your games. Um, and Kevin's asked, if you, are you planning to use other games that use the same card-based system? Um, that was uh, in response to Love and Barbed Wire, so using that sort of system mm. there. Um, I, I absolutely am. Um, I, 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 I like the variability that cards give you. The ability to have them um, uh, to attach emotional value to particular kind to particular states of card. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that you can have some things where you're not sure what you're going to get next, you could have them dealed dealt out. Everyone's got a fair hand. Um, mm -hmm. And the there's a game which I'm in the, uh, the kind of late alpha stages at the moment. Um, yep. The working title is Expect Free Visitors. Mm -hmm. uh, and it came about because somebody said, could you use your game for something like Scrooge? And I thought, okay. I think I could. And I sat down and two hours later, I'd got the, the basic frame of the game. Scrooge was troubled by greed. So mm -hmm. in this game, you could be troubled by any of the seven deadly sins. Sloth, wrath, greed, lust, uh, pride, envy, uh, and whatever the other one is. Um and the, the players will play a spirit who's got the job of trying to redeem to this person who's suffering from this deadly sin. And as you play around, every person is the spirit to the person on their left and they play the patient or client to the person on their right. Mm -hmm. So you agree what the, the, the problems are going to be for the clients. And then we take them back to their past and we show them a scene from their past. Mm -hmm. And that can get played out by the other players. Uh, so the, the client doesn't engage, but he gets to ask questions about it. And then you take them to the current present day and then to the future. There's one of these where um, that somebody we knew that somebody was a widower. Uh, his problem was um, gluttony, which is okay. kind of not knowing when to stop. And mm -hmm. in this case, it was framed as he was a hoarder. His house was just okay. full of stuff. Yeah, 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 and we took him back to the past, and we took him to the past to um, a hospital room, and we see him, a younger, yeah, version of him, eight years ago, and in the bed is his wife, 
and she's dying. Mm. And she's saying, you've got to let me go. You've got to get on with your life. And he's saying, I don't want to let you go. And this sense that this was the, the point that triggered this hoarding for him. But while we, we mm. saw this little conversation played out by two of the other players, and then the player who was the chat problem with gluttony said, I just go over to, yeah, I, I want to go away, but it can't go away. I go over to my, my wife in bed and just try to tuck a bit of hair behind her ear. And, um, ah, there's a player said that. I choked up with it. Hmm. Um, but as you take people through past and present and future, you can, if you think back to the story of Scrooge, we've got him happy at a party. We've got him seeing yeah. them trying to get money together. Then there's this future where Tiny Tim has died and he wants to know something could be different. So the playing cards have helped set the, the tone for each of that past, present and future. And then, again, each of the spirits has got um, uh, one card left. Uh, they can't keep the card themselves. They've got to give the card away to one of the other spirits. And we find out who the living tribunal judges successful who gets rescued who doesn't get rescued in one mm -hmm. game the one of the person was a, a wrathful person that is expressed in in terrible racism and yet he was redeemed he was rescued and his life was turned around and the the person playing was saying i'm really pleased with that because i wanted to have this idea that people are not stuck where they are that they can be rescued mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that's a, uh, it, was a, it was a brilliant idea that somebody had, uh, and I, I'm very grateful that they suggested it to me because I think that these card mechanics works really well, again, for, this, for a method of framing mm. scenes. And, and if I just, one other word on that. Yeah. Grey, Grey Ranks was this brilliant opening for me into the world of story games. Yeah. As a beginner, I found it really, really hard to understand how to frame scenes. Yeah. I, I use these card mechanics because I think it makes it much easier for people to see how to frame a scene and understand how prompt. it works. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm running away with myself there. No, but, no, that's great. Yeah. This is exactly what the show is about. I invite people on to come and, and talk about their games. That's exactly what you've done here today. So it's absolutely perfect. Thank you. Um, we are getting a little bit close to the top of the hour, so I'm just going to run through mm. and say if people want to hear more about your games, uh, where would be the best places for them to to find you and, and talk to you more about the games if they're interested? So um, the my website, which is on the screen earlier, um, mm -hmm. uh, there's uh, information there where I blog about stuff and do design blogs as well as talk about the games mm -hmm. I've got available. Um, uh, you can find me on Drive Through RPG and Itch.io. I tend to put mm -hmm. ash cans up on Itch.io. There's an ash can for inner circle there at the moment. Um, I'm moderately active on Twitter, um, mm -hmm. and I'm a little active on Facebook. I find that uh, it's difficult to get engagement on both of those, um, but yeah. Twitter is the one where I put more of my effort. Um, uh, I'm very happy to engage with people there. Um, I think they're the main... They're the main places where you'd find out from me. 
Okay, great. And the website there is Plain Sailing Games and Plain spelled P-L-A-N-E. Uh, and uh, so the links to that will be in the show notes if you're listening to the podcast or you can have a look on your screen if you're watching live the, or watching the video right now. Uh, we also can buy your things as Indie Press Revolution mm. is a good place to go uh, if you'd like to purchase any of the books we talked about because the best way to support indie tabletop RPG creators is to buy their stuff. Uh, so you can have a look there. The links are in the notes uh, for the podcast if you're listening. Uh, also, it's on the screen screen right now if you are watching live so you can check mm -hmm. that out there um so what i always ask um every guest as well um so what are your favorite rpgs that we've not talked about already and that are not D, &D? uh so what yeah. games do you have that you'd recommend there um i'm going to recommend two one of them is a one pager by uh, a chap called ursi dice and it's called mm -hmm. jump the shark it's a free right. role-playing game uh, okay, and great. it's about what happens in the TV series after the first two seasons, which were great, and then it's mm -hmm. jumped the shark. Uh, and right, it's yeah. just, it is lovely mechanics, brilliant game. I've written a review of it on my website, so go and find out about it there. There's mm -hmm. also a whole bunch of one-page games by G.S. Howitt, which are brilliant mm -hmm. fun. Uh, and I've, I've written about those because I want other people to find them and play them because mm -hmm. they're super. And the other one I've enjoyed a lot recently is Brindlewood Bay, which I know okay. is either, has just been on Kickstarter recently. Uh, oh, where you play, I, oh, you must look it up. You're playing okay. elderly women. It's like Murder, She Wrote, Murder, She Wrote meets um, Call of Cthulhu. Amazing. Uh, you, get play, you get to play elderly women who are investigating ordinary crimes. There's, there's mm -hmm. some secret problems going on behind the scenes. That's the kind of the bit of the, the mythos bit. Um, the mechanics for the mysteries are that, a mystery isn't decided by the referee. You find clues and then you work out what you think an answer might be. And then you roll to see if that's the actual answer. Okay. Um, and, it, uh, and you can fearlessly do things because if something happens where you might die, there's mm. a mechanic where you can say, actually, yeah, I, that doesn't die. But you do it by revealing parts of your history. Okay. Uh, because you're elderly women, you've got a lot of history. Mm -hmm. where you reveal something about your inner life um and it's just it fits the theme comes together beautifully the mechanics for the mystery works really well i absolutely adore playing that game there's some great recommendations thanks very much for sharing uh with us uh thanks very much for coming on the show alex and giving it your time to talk about your games it's been really great having you on uh and hopefully uh, we can get some people to have a look at Love and Barbed Wire on your site there and have a game of it. It's certainly something I'm planning on doing oh. since I found out. Um, so thank you very much for everyone who's come along to watch and thank you very much if you came along uh, with the raid as well and stuck around uh, next week we have uh, Vassam we're talking about uh, which is next week on June the 13th at 10pm BST but if you cannot wait a whole week that's no problem tomorrow at 3pm ET we have the Starcross Seaway episode which is showing up the Level Up Advanced 5th Edition system so you can check that out there um, but that's all for now so thank you very much for walking uh, coming along and watching the show and Alex thanks so much for your time again thank you very much it's been lovely being here